0: This is Life Speak, a podcast about well-being, mental health, and building resilience through knowledge. Here's Marianne Weisenthal.
1: So I'm talking today with Sue Lance. Sue is a policy and implementation expert on aging, healthcare, and housing. She's also the founder of Collaborative Aging, a consulting firm that helps aging boomers and their future caregivers prepare for and navigate a healthier and more socially connected aging experience. Sue's the author of a new guide called Options Open, the guide for mapping your best aging journey. She's a passionate advocate for seniors care, caregiving, and aging in place. Welcome to the Life Speak podcast, Sue. Thanks so much,
0: Marianne. I'm glad to be here.
1: So I wanted to start with you. You've been working in the aging field for over 25 years. What led you to this and and why are you so passionate about it?
0: I think when I look back, I realize I, my career involved a few chapters and the early chapter was working with young people, my peers, who had a physical disability and wanted to live out their lives in the community versus institutional settings. And I work for a global organization called the Cheshire Homes Foundation, and we came up with all kinds of wonderful community-based alternatives that help my peers, young people with disabilities, live full lives, have jobs, have families, and contribute to their communities. My next chapter was to work in the government in the policy area that involved both aging and disability care and models and services. And I had a real fun period of working at a high level of design, policy design and implementation. And I could see how what government does enables great things to happen on the ground. So I had the field experience and then the government experience. And then in the last 20 years, I've really specialized in in improvement projects that really help deliver better services in home care, community care, long-term care homes, and housing for seniors. And so I've seen some of the challenges that happen for people when they can't navigate to the right choices for themselves. And so my passion and enthusiasm for sort of catching people earlier and helping them navigate their choices in the care system has really come out of my field work, where I realized that by catching people earlier, we actually can create a better experience for seniors and their families and caregivers.
1: So when you say catching people earlier what age do we need to start thinking about what we want to do when we're older?
0: Well, I have in the Options Open Guide, I really recommend people start in their 60s thinking about their later life in their 80s or 90s because we do live longer and we live healthier. We have a longer health span. We live often 20 years of Fairly good health. And then we have, on average, about eight years of not so good health or an accumulation of health conditions. And so, my pitch really is that if we think about our aging experiences and what we want for ourselves earlier, we actually engage earlier in the self navigation part of navigating healthcare, housing, and caregiving. And by doing that, you're actually creating more certainty for oneself and more choice. And that's why I'm really passionate about trying to reach people in their 60s. Now it can be late 50s, but certainly as they're approaching retirement or the kind of old fashioned term retirement, that's when we are more or less starting to think about what lies ahead, what's next.
1: I love this because it makes the planning part of aging seem a lot less daunting and a lot less negative. You talk about planning your aging journey as being similar to planning a trip. Can you explain what you mean by this?
0: Yes. I think the the great thing about planning a trip or a vacation is that you do a number of things. You First of all, think about what you want to experience. And is it a restful holiday? Is it an adventurous holiday? Do you want to explore a new place or do you want to rest on a beach? You are visualizing a series of options when you plan a trip. And then you go about it fairly systematically. You research the options, you analyze your choices and you organize and prepare your plans. And I guess the thing is that none of us would get on a plane to a foreign place that we don't know well without doing that research and preparation. And by doing that research and preparation and legwork to organize where you stay, how you're getting there, who you're going with, or are you visiting people? How are you getting around? Is it a safe place to travel? Do you need health insurance? Do you need vaccinations? You're actually very much, curating a holiday for yourself so that when you get to the destination or you get on, your bags are packed, you've gotten your home ready to leave. When you go, you are able to relax and enjoy the journey, enjoy the process of the holiday much more. So the elements of planning a trip allows you to think ahead more and be positive about what you'll experience. It's a process. And when you see it as a process, you can step in and start planning in this way. And I guess it's interesting because people say to me, that's a very helpful analogy because we do go about our trip planning in a certain way. And it helps people sort of see that they can start to put their planning on different tracks. And this is where my guide helps people in a pragmatic way, say the five tracks or the five strategies of planning out your aging like you would a trip is to look at your housing, your health, your social network, your caregiving team and your resources. Just like with a trip, you need to know what your budget is before you you go. So, I'm proposing this five strategy framework as a way, I offer it as a way of helping people visualize aspects of their journey and how to organize them.
1: I find I'm in my 40s. I'm not 60 yet, but I will be someday. (laughs) And I certainly have parents who are, you know, were thinking about all of these things for them. And I found reading through this, it's laid out with such detail and yet in a way that's so accessible. I found it almost reassuring reading through it because there was a lot of things in there that I hadn't that I don't think we generally think about, because you're proposing questions in here that we should be asking ourselves that are very detailed. Things such as, is sustainably built housing something that's important to you and will be important to you when you're aging? What is the hourly cost of an overnight nurse? And can I afford that? Why do you think posing such detailed questions is so important for people to be doing?
0: Oh, Miriam, this is a wonderful question because it gets at the root of why did I organize this material in this way? And I organized it in an interactive way, very purposely, because I really think what I'm trying to do with this guide is engage people in thinking about what's important to them. What are their values? And what is their vision for themselves? And while we don't have a crystal ball that tells us absolutely everything, what I am trying to help people tune into is themselves and what they personally feel is important and what their resources are and what's realistic for them and what's going to make a positive journey for them. For each individual, that's going to be a very different answer. It's going to be very different. We are diverse. And that's, I think, what gets at the, what COVID has exposed, that the sort of institutional models where people aren't able to express their individualism and it is not belonging to a community, those models are not appealing. So what has to happen is people do have to self-reflect on what is important to them, what they want to experience, where they want to be, who they want to be with, just like travel planning. So I very deliberately got to these kind of specific questions to just prompt people into that thinking about their own journey and how they want to shape it.
1: Can you tell me what you mean when you say aging in place?
0: There's sort of a technical definition of aging in place, and that is the ability to live in the same home or community safely, independently, and comfortably as you age. My sense of it after working in the field for so long is that actually beyond the physical or functional definition about living safely and independently, there's sort of a spiritual almost and value-based dimension to this that we don't talk a lot about but I try to in the guide. And that is that I think people generally see aging in place as an alternative to institutional living. They see it as a vital and active way of living. They see it as belonging to a community. They see it as being more empowered and having stewardship over their home and their decisions. They see it as more intergenerational or inclusive but we don't, none of the kind of technical definitions really get at that. And so I think though, at the heart of it, people want inclusion. They want to age in places with people. And that's what the guide helps people start to visualize. Well, what does that look like for you? What's your version of aging in place?
1: I want to ask you about your grandparents. You dedicate the book to them, Judy and Floyd Lance. They've had a big impact on your work and your attitudes about aging. Can you tell me about them?
0: My grandparents were pretty special people. And I realized that in many ways, they shaped my understanding of the best model for aging and aging in place. And I was the eldest grand. Child. So I was very close to them. And they were the father and mother of my own father. They were pretty special to me because my father, my own father, had passed away when I was young. So they were a connection to my dad. They were a very curious couple. They traveled, they read, they learned, they loved to contribute to their neighborhood, and they loved their family dearly. And what I hadn't understood until much later, is that they were planning for their aging experience and later life experience in their, I'd say, early 70s to ensure that their vision of aging in the home they loved, in the neighborhood they loved, would come to fruition. And so they did many things to sort of set themselves up for achieving their, their vision. They modified their home before they needed to, They adjusted their finances so they could actually afford to get help in the home when they started to need it. And they most importantly started having conversations with all of our family members individually and then sometimes collectively about what their vision was for staying in their home, how they were going to go about this and what supports they might need from us. So these conversations were honest and they were about their wishes, but they were also preparing us for their own mortality. And I found those hard conversations, but they strengthened my bond with them. And uh, I think for the rest of the family, they would say the same. And so when it came to their later life, we were well-equipped to handle the decisions that we actually were asked to make towards the end of their lives. But ultimately They achieved their, what I'd call one of the most successful versions of aging in the place of their choice. And all their early actions really enabled them to fulfill their vision of aging in place. And so, in their ability to stay connected and maintain a feeling of being empowered in their later years, this was very inspirational. And for me, it was a real honor to be part of their caregiving team. I was helping coordinate the care in their home and a live-in caregiver towards the end. And it was an honor to play that role. And I guess the last thing I'll say about their ability to organize all of this and oversee it is that they were respectful in the way they balanced the giving and receiving of help. They ensured they weren't taking too much from their caregiving team or burdening us too much. And why they were able to do that is they accepted help from paid people too. So they were able to really balance things.
1: Your grandparents sound like they were you know, very forward thinking in this. Many people are not. I think, you know, aging seems to be something that people really just don't want to think about. They don't want to talk about it until it's too late. Why do you think that is?
0: Humans are fearful and we're resistant to change and we're fearful of our mortality. And I think that when it comes to Fear about life ending or fear of losing our cognitive abilities with something like dementia. Uh, These fears are very much driving our behaviors and our choices. And so some of that's internal to us. And then also on top of that, we have a societal fear of aging, and ageism is strong. And when you look at it, billions of dollars are spent by people and companies on age-denying products and services. So the world around us, uh, certainly in North America, is pretty pretty age-denying and fearful of the aging process. And so when you've got that as a context, it's pretty hard to step forward or step towards aging in a positive way and think about it in a positive way. It's kind of going against the current a little. And that's, I guess, why I'm really so passionate about this, because I also believe that by, and I've seen this, thousands of people who have left decisions to the last minute because they're resisting aging and resisting the idea of accepting help from others they make it harder for themselves. So what I've seen is that it's actually self-fulfilling. The negative attitudes towards aging actually in some ways create a negative or lead to creating a negative experience. And so I'm trying to sort of say, let's reverse gears here, clutch in, let's press reverse and say, how can we re-engage our minds mindset with a more curious and positive approach to the changes we're gonna experience. And then start to create a more positive and generate a more positive experience. And that's again, where my grandparents model comes in because I lived through that with them. I saw it, I felt it, I experienced it. I know how it can change the outcomes.
1: What is aging looking like in your experience in the future? In terms of options available, in terms of new models for housing, what does that look like, say, in 10, 20 years from now, do you think?
0: I feel we've just begun to start to carve out some new models of housing and care in the community, really. I do believe some of the models were tried and successfully implemented for people, younger people with disabilities. So I draw on some of the supportive housing types of models where you're integrated in a in a building or a regular building condo or apartment and then care is clustered and in say 20 units out of a hundred unit building where the 24-hour care staff are there and available but it's not an all senior, all institutional type of model. It's integrated into the community. So we do have models out there. I see more of those models being implemented in the future. I do see some of the shared models of housing and care in terms of home co-ownership, home co-rental being definitely more of those in the future. I see smaller congregate settings versus large institutional residential settings for people that have dementia. I see more village models in the future, smaller scale, not large, large scale, institutional communities. I do see more specialized communities developing, whether they be sustainable housing communities or rural communities where people have like minds around living, say, in a sustainable way or in a more communal way. But ultimately, what I'm trying to do with Options Open is trigger people's thinking enough that we actually can start to co-create some newer models too. So it's hard for me to project the future or predict the future Models, because I'm hoping people will say, well, I really love these micro house ideas and I want to have a community outside of Collingwood or some town that they love that has these smaller homes and I'm part of a larger town somehow, you know, like the conversations just beginning on these options. I, I find it exciting to think about what we might create in the future.
1: As a boomer yourself, what are your hopes and plans for your own aging
0: journey? My partner, my life partner, and I live together in a home that we're now outfitting for one level living. So our immediate plan is somewhat based on my grandparents' plan, which is modifying the home we're in so that we have the option to stay. Having said that, I also, he and I do have discussions about a plan B, which might be to move to a new place that is more accessible and may be part of a more planned or intentional community. And then thirdly, I have cast my mind to a plan C, which is what would my life be like solo without Rob, my partner? And where would I live? And this is where some of the options around home co-ownership or rent to own housing it, rather than staying 20 years in a rental building. These kinds of permutations appeal to me when I think about the possibility of being solo. And on that, I'll just remark that many women do have to think that way because we do outlive men in general, statistically. And there are more and more people choosing to live solo. So for sure, that's sort of my, the housing and lens to my aging journey. I've kind of thought through a little, but I also know that on the side of how do I want to contribute? I still very much want to do productive work, consulting work, educative work, my volunteer work that I have now. I have several roles that are volunteer. I want to carry on with that. I hope to be a grandmother one day and really look forward to that. So I'm thinking multi-dimensional when I'm thinking about my aging future. And I see lots of fun ways that I can still spend time with my friends, travel, travel, but even as my world gets smaller, I will still find ways to be part of a community and connected in the same way my grandparents were able to do.
1: Right now, we're in, we're in the middle of a pandemic. You know, so many people in care homes are suffering from the virus, have died. There's been a very big spotlight on aging and how we treat our elderly. What do you think we're learning from this?
0: Well, I think that the pandemic has exposed all kinds of systemic challenges with how we've organized the institutional models of care. And I think to be fair to the the sector of long-term care and residential homes, the needs of the people living in long-term care homes now versus 20 years ago have changed and we are living longer. We have more complex health conditions. People are on in the last stages of life, and often with dementia. And I think what it's exposed, the pandemic has exposed two sides of the coin. One is that the built form and the way we organize the delivery of care is not successful. in many fronts, there are weaknesses in it. And then on the other side of that coin, I think we have to acknowledge that the later stages of life are complex and we need some new ways, smaller homes and more enlightened leadership of those homes to really support people with advanced dementia and in in their later stages of life. So I think it's also exposed the business interests in the long-term care sector and other parts of the aging field, aging in place field there are business interests and sometimes these business interests conflict with what the people might need and i think we've really exposed that so i th- i think the pandemic has also shown that social connection is probably the most important human need at any stage of life and that people living in the community have even been withheld because of the pandemic seniors have been withheld from being able to connect with the people they love, their grandchildren, and so on. So it's been a really hard experience. And my hope with the pandemic is that it helps us reflect on what's important and how we can build a better set of options for people who are aging from their 60s and 70s through to their late 90s.
1: These are very difficult times. What is sort of keeping you hopeful or optimistic right now?
0: They are very difficult times for people and I guess what I would say is that I observe that the pandemic is bringing to the fore what's important to us as individuals and how we can create better results when we work together. I see this pandemic as a bit of a teachable moment where people are learning a lot and feeling suffering is often, and loss is often a way of also learning and growing. So what gives me optimism is that many people are talking about how they see things will be different after the pandemic and how they want to influence things being different, better. And so that gives me optimism as well as the pandemic has been the most eye-opening experience for our aging care system and why we need to do much, much better.
1: Are you looking forward to your aging journey?
0: I am. I am a, a positive person and I've had difficulties and loss in my life, not unlike other people, but in general, I am positive about it because I I guess I look at it from a growth mindset. My belief is that while we may have losses and changes and transitions, there's always growth out of that. And some of that can be maybe spiritual growth as well. I think there's much more fun to to be had. I think there's more things to contribute. I'm not saying this very clearly because it's to me, it's so multifaceted, but I just believe that Every stage of life brings positive and negative experiences. And I tend to want to build on the positive and not to deny the negative, but to focus on, on the positive and build on that.
1: Thanks for joining the show today, Sue.
0: Thank you, Marianne. For more about this episode, go to lifespeak.com slash A production of the Sound Off
1: Media Company.